Welcome back to the Behind the Drapes podcast. I'm your host, Kenny. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Danny Leahy, who's one of my good friends from college and who's also one of the main reasons why I'm an anesthesia resident today. Dr. Leahy is currently doing her combined cardiothoracic and ICU fellowship down in Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. Danny and I both worked for UVM Rescue when we were in college, and when I was in med school, I remember reaching out to her because she was pursuing a residency in anesthesia and asking her, how did she end up finding that path? And really, it was her roots in UVM Rescue that made it seem like the most ideal place for her to be. So in this episode, we talk more about the skill set she gained from UVM Rescue, why she decided to do the combined cardiac ICU fellowship, and where her career path is headed in the future. Stay tuned to see what's going on behind the drapes with Dr. Leahy. So were you around? You're in the ICU now, obviously, right? That's what you're doing this year? Yeah. So, well, now I'm doing fully cardiac, but with the cardiac year, um, everyone is required to do four weeks of ICU. So no matter what um, cardiac, where you're doing your training, you have to do a month of cardiac ICU. So this just Got happened very well. And here I am doing Got my, it. so yeah. What time did you get out of work today? Um, I think I got home probably around six thirty, seven, something like that. Okay. Uh, most of my co-fellows would be like, why are you staying so late? And I was like, it's like, this is what I love to do. So yeah, I'm stay here. <laughs> are you, are you like the only fellow that does afternoon rounds? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, welcome Danny Leahy to the show. Thank you. I'm Thank super, you. I'm super excited to have you here. Awesome. Um, it's been awesome. I've been looking forward to it and definitely excited to have, you know, you doing this podcast. I think it's really awesome. So I've, my, I don't know if you remember when we were on rescue and we went to, I guess it was the 40th banquet, whichever was like the biggest milestone that we were there. And like all the guys wore tuxes. Do you remember what you wore that year? Um, Was that, oh boy, the 40th. Was that the white dress? No. <laughs> You had like a, Wait, a long, no. long ball gown that was like teal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Why and my, pa- <laughs> I don't know if my parents were there or they've seen pictures, uh-huh. but they remember you from that dress, and they call you the mermaid girl because uh-huh. of that dress. That's and so, so every time you come up in conversation, obviously we're talking about this. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna interview the mermaid girl." And I was That's like, so "Yep, yeah, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> I do so remember it was like sequin or like had like gemstones like around the the collar and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like Ariel in my parents' eyes, basically. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thanks for saying yes when I texted you, and you've been obviously a guiding path for me to getting to the point where I am. Yeah. Um, so how did you? I guess let's back up all the way to UVM Rescue since I brought it up. Um, do you remember when we first met? Um, my first memory is in, is doing some training. Um, I'm sure we met like before this a little bit, but I think my first vivid memory is doing training. You know how the quarters were super snug and like you couldn't uh-huh. anywhere sit. So we were like, one was on one bunk bed, one was sitting on the other bunk bed. It smelled like, you know, whatever college dorm almost. <laughs> and so but that was the, the huge, um, and I remember sitting there with a binder and like going through stuff and then just looking at the duck boots that you were wearing. And... <laughs> That's my, my favorite memory. You're like, this kid's not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just crazy to kind of think back and, and 
like those little Kenny, little Danny, like where we were then and kind of where we are now. And and I think too often about rescue and just um, I haven't really gotten to go back to Vermont in a little bit of time, but think about the people who are there now and and just what, you know, 10 years from now, they're going to, their lives are going to be like. And and it's pretty profound to think about what an impact it did have on us. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we both sort of saw each other become um, like leaders and also like the ability to like command like a scene, like a 911 scene. Um, what are like a few of the skill sets that you think brought you towards anesthesia? So I think that I, I didn't recognize it at the time um, with rescue. I think, you know, you kind of view EMS and, and emergency uh, pre-hospital care kind of almost like just a, another arm of emergency medicine. And it really wasn't until I was going, I think my fourth year of medical school and I'd already chosen anesthesia. And I was talking to one of the chief anesthesia residents and he's like, man, this like, of course you were destined for anesthesia. It, what you do in the back of an ambulance is what a, like an anesthesiologist does. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And so I think it sort of almost set me up to really be a good fit for this career because, you know, you are there sometimes alone, depending, you know, if you're working with just your driver and then just you in the back, you may be the only person with that patient in this extremely critical moment, but not even just taking care of them, like their physiology and, and their body, but just talking them through what's happening or being that comforting voice, which after he mentioned those things, I was like, wow, you're right. I've been doing this for the past how many years? And now here I am making this truly my career. So I would say that experience first, like the one-on-one -on -one with that patient, you know, through some really challenging times and scary times for them too, if they're in the middle of having a heart attack, here you are that only person. Um, so I think that really set the stage, but even more so like taking that a step further, what else did UVM Rescue give us and, and me? And I think it, really had to do with the leadership and you know i hate to say like you grow up fast when you're on rescue but you mm -hmm. kind of don't realize it until you're out of there where mm -hmm. you know someone who's 20 years old is dealing with some really really serious um situations and and things that most 20 year olds don't have to see and to be a part of but at such a young age in, in the scheme of things, you know, your ability to really focus and take care of a, a scene, a person, but really the whole situation and lead the team of when you when you are that crew chief leading those those younger members and everyone through what's going on. And I think that for the most part, none of us are, are the kind of people who step on a scene and, and everyone's like, oh, like EMS is here. But, you know, when that happens to be the time that you need to really speak up people will listen but it's not like you step on and, and people all of a sudden you know like oh oh they're here but there's a an element of respect I think that comes when you do speak up and I find that to be very similar in the operating room where you know you can have fun and and be with your colleagues and everything but when things really start to get hairy and you speak up people stop and they're like oh this is 
this is serious. And so I think all of those pieces together really uh, helped me to develop the skills I needed for this specialty. Um, and I'm, I, I got to say the support that you have from your peers and stuff too is always great and having those mm -hmm. lifelong friendships and um, those have all also maybe not necessarily led me to have like skills but led me to have the support to get to where I am right now so absolutely yeah. yeah really lifelong friends I mean we're examples of that too but even some of the weddings I've been going to like UVM Rescue Alumni and mm -hmm. it's aw awesome to see where people are going 10 years yeah. removed from it I know it really yeah. is it's it's pretty great to I think about you know who are my closest friends from college and it really is the people that I shared all these experiences with on rescue so and it's crazy we were like manifesting these futures for us like I, in the bunk room in the back room studying and we're, we're living it I know I know and it's really kind of a cool stepping point like moving forward too to think about how much more time we have in our careers and how influential we can be on people who come next um mm -hmm. so that's something I kind of sneak peek of like what I look forward to in the rest of my career as well. So. Absolutely. I feel like one, like a major portion of rescue was like training others and like building people up who like start off as probies um, and then sort of working their way up the chain. How do you feel like that impacted um, being a resident and doing medical education and now being a fellow and teaching residents? How do you feel like that sets you up for where you are now? Yeah. So I think that, especially with rescue, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest member, right? So you want your probie or your brand new person to have the knowledge, to have the confidence really to be part of the team and to contribute in an equal way. So I think that that really helped me now because I ultimately, um, even I guess I'll take fellowship, for example, you know, you in ICU fellowship, you're leading the team and every few weeks, you know, you're changing who your residents are. So they're coming in brand new. Maybe they've never even done a shift in the ICU. It can be really intimidating for them. And you can see that. And I think that the best way to get them kind of on on par with everyone else is to just bring them in and and let them know like there's you don't feel bad about asking questions. I am here for anything you need. And let me kind of show you the ropes. And it really brings me a lot of joy and really like job satisfaction, I think, to see someone that I'm working with go from the beginning to even the end of four weeks and just how much they grow. Mm -hmm. And it's so, you know, there's lots of pieces of job satisfaction. And even as I'm like looking for where I'm going next, I'm thinking, do I really not want that as part of my job? Like if I go into practice, et cetera. But yeah, it's really, I mean, it's awesome. I've seen some wonderful residents come through in this past year too. And just, I'm really proud of them. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's a great extra piece of, of anesthesia and, and ICU to have that team mentality. That's so cool to hear. That's like literally making me excited about my fellowship next year. I <laughs> you love should it. be. It's going to be I awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, how was residency for you? So you decided to stay at UVM after graduating medical school. Yeah. Um, how was it for you? I loved my residency program. I mean, 
when we were trying to figure out, so my husband who, um, I met in medical school was a year ahead of me and then, you know, stayed back as you know, to um, be able to couples match with me. So when we were trying to find program, um, a program for us to match to, we adored university of Vermont as medical students, but the program director at the time said, you know, you, you would do yourself a disservice by not going and seeing what else is out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we did that. And in the end, we realized that UVM was just like, the perfect place for us. So we stayed um, and I could not be happier with my decision, really, because it for me, it was it was the right place to be. Um, I had family nearby, so I had a lot of support. But more so, I felt like the program was super supportive, um, super small. I mean, literally, there mm-hmm. are there are more people in the residency program um, in one year here uh, at Hopkins than there are in like the whole university. <laughs> so I'm like, how yeah. is that possible? But yeah. I think with that small, um, very, very close-knit department, like they got to know you so well. And so mm-hmm. I felt like my ability to to learn and really grow was really wonderful there since people knew what your strengths were. Um and also we didn't have fellows. So here I am as a fellow and, and it kind of makes me feel bad sometimes. I'm like, Ooh, am I like taking too much of this cave? Like, what did I tell you what to do? Cause I remember what it was like to not have fellows and it was right. quite awesome, honestly. So right. I'm really glad with, with my training and, and even coming to Hopkins, I can see, um, I, I mean, I, I think we're very well trained, just the, the broad, like our skill set and how much hands-on we had as, as mm-hmm. residents. Um, so I think it certainly prepared me for my fellowship years. How did COVID affect your training? So um, for residency, you know, being in Vermont and you guys probably remember like all the maps, like Vermont was always was like, the best state. Yeah. I was like, hello, we're, we're aerosols <laughs> up here. Um, yeah. So I have to say it really didn't, it didn't affect us the same way that it affected some people. And I have a really good friend who was in New York city and I just, I couldn't believe the things that he was telling me um, during that first wave of COVID. And it was heartbreaking because I, you know, here's someone who's going through a similar experience of residency and boom, like all of a sudden that just completely diverged. Um, So we really didn't have to, we, I, I don't think I took care of a, COVID positive patient, all of residency. Um, cool. They really protected us, but we really just didn't have any mm-hmm. problems. So mm-hmm. it was interesting because actually then in fellowship last year uh, was the first time I really took care of a, a sick COVID ICU patient. And it was, it was really, I mean, for lack of better words, it was horrible. The, the disease and I, I, I could see how people really struggled through it beforehand. And now I was in the midst of it. Um, we actually had in the month of January last year, we had a whole month where the surgical ICU was converted to a COVID ICU. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really hard. Um, I guess it's something I I knew was always a possibility going into ICU. Um but I guess I didn't really understand how difficult it could be until I lived it. Mm-hmm. And I I hope we don't have to go through that again, but I know that's part of the job and, and it might be something that we face in the future again. Um, 
it can be really challenging. So absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that really sticks out to me from that period in regards to you and your life, um, you don't post very often on social media, but Mm -hmm. I remember distinctly you posting on Instagram, you getting the first vaccine. And I feel like that was also your pregnancy announcement at the same time. (laughs) Uh, What was that like being pregnant during a pandemic and also being like one of the first thousands of people who got the vaccine? Yeah, you know, you're right. I don't really post too much. I'm more of the like chronic, you know, I flip through and like see what everyone else is doing. And they're like, oh, I can't post. I'm like too busy. Um, So it was it was almost um, kind of like a silver lining of, of COVID in a way, because I don't often just like put my life out there and like, you know, I mean, kind of keep a lot of those things to myself. And it was almost nice to sort of enjoy that moment of my life, like, and only tell the people that I really wanted to. Um, so it was, it was kind of precious almost to like have that to myself in a world that everyone knows everything about you. Right. Right. Um, but then when it got to that point, you know, prior to, to really knowing if the vaccine was safe or not for pregnant women. Um, it was a tough decision, but ultimately I felt like I trusted science and I trust, um, the hard work that went into that vaccine and, and really just like our medical training and knowledge to say, you know, there are risks to everything that we do in medicine, but at this point, do the risks outweigh the benefits? And I think kind of thinking back to what, my friend in New York had gone through. And and if I could stop and not even for myself necessarily, because yeah, maybe the, um, you know, maybe I'm not someone who's so high risk, all of that, but to stop, to have the ability to potentially stop the spread to someone that I'm taking care of, that's mm-hmm. really what that to me. And, and I felt proud of being able to, to do that and to, you know, kind of, just be someone who could emphasize that the science behind it, even though it's slightly, you know, unknown at the time to kind of stand up and say, you know, this, this can be safe. This, Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be a support for someone who may be having a hard time making that decision. It's interesting (laughs) because, you know, I got a lot of people being like, Oh my God, you're pregnant. Congrats. And I was like, okay, that's not really the point of the post. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but really there were a handful of people that reached out to me and said like, thank you so much. Cause I'm having a really hard time deciding what I should do. Cause I'm pregnant or I want to be pregnant and to be able to not necessarily say, well, you should get the vaccine, but be a source of just like support for someone else who's having a hard time making that decision. Mm-hmm. I think that's really why I posted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think my son's okay. He's kind of a wild child, but he's pretty <laughs> healthy, and uh, I think he turned out okay from the vaccine. <laughs> How old is Cam now? Gosh, he's gonna be two on wow. New Year's Day, so wow. we're we're getting very close. He is just he's talking a lot, and uh, the other day, I don't know what I did, but he just says things, and I'm like, "How do you know this?" Like, how? Uh-huh. He looks, and he goes, "You're funny, Mama." I was like, what? "Oh my God, that's so amazing." <laughs> It's so cute. It's adorable. So, I know, I know. But uh, I mean, life has certainly changed with him and just kind of oh, I like, bet. trajectory of life and whatnot. But yeah, I'm sure your priorities change, your perception of time changes. 
for sure. The for way sure. you spend your free time, obviously. Yeah, what free time? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Different yeah. definition. I know, exactly. Back when I thought I didn't have any time, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, now I know what it means to not have time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to ask if people came to you after that um, and sort of asked you for advice, but it sounds like people were. Um, before you did it, were you going, like, reaching out to people for advice, or were there certain resources you were looking towards? So I um, I did. I mean, I talked to my OBGYN about it, um, who was really supportive, and and ultimately kind of, I think what what I really appreciated was looking at medicine this just the way we do right risks and benefits and like right. you are in a high risk field danny so right yes like the risk for you could be much higher than you know someone who in this pandemic isn't really faced with any of of those concerns um so i thought it was a really good conversation i did you know i reached out to um my mom of course too she's mm-hmm. a nurse but um mm-hmm. and 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 my husband too and and I think you know we we really thought long and hard about about things but ultimately um yeah I I, I did reach out to other people and actually multiple people in different specialties and even oh right there was a infectious disease fellow too I was like hey help me out here um and I think all of that information was good. There were some people who were like, I really don't know, but here's what I do know. And so just having people to help me make the best informed decision was really important. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Going back to your previous point of like EMS people and anesthesiologists, they don't speak up often, but mm-hmm. when they do speak up, people will usually listen. And that's yeah. exactly how I felt when you when you made that post, I was like, Danny doesn't like post much at all, but yeah. I'm going to read, I'm going to read every single word she's writing right now. <laughs> oh. Cause I, I know it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I look back at that post sometimes too. And, and, you know, it's, it, it does make me very proud um, to pick and choose. And, you know, I think even as, as you'll find out and you probably have found out already too, in like an ICU capacity, um, especially in, in a open unit where you're working with different teams and, mm-hmm. and you're more of a consultant. Um, you may want to do something a different way, but really pick and choose like what's most important mm-hmm. and the things that you stake and say, Hey, no, actually this, I think is what we need to do. Cause mm-hmm. if you do that to everything, like not everyone's always going to listen. So. Right. Right. And we know that we know what types of people or, you know, people like that out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is an intermission. You're about halfway through the episode. Now would be a good time to take a break, put the podcast down, and come back to it at a later time. If you're really into the episode and you want to keep pushing forward, then just push ahead 15 seconds and keep on going. If you do take a break, you're going to want to be sure to come back because most of the guests seem to save their best for last, and you're not going to want to miss what's coming up next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's it like having two anesthesiologists in the household? Um, You know... I, I would love to have someone just like plant a camera in our house and like tell me what they really think because I swear like sometimes you're like okay we need to stop talking about work we just need to stop that's what I was gonna ask do you so you talk a lot about work and yes and it's like not intentional sometimes like we have to be more intentional about like okay you have five minutes to tell me how your day was at work and then I don't want to hear about it anymore uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. You're, you're cut off yeah. um Cause it can get really just into the weeds of this and that and this, but it also is just so wonderful. But I, I mean, granted, I don't know what the opposite would be like, sure. but it is 
really, really nice to be able to come home and say, oh my gosh, this happened. And for my husband, Ben, to understand where I'm coming from, um, I think it's been, I I don't know that I could have done it a different way. Um, So having that support, he is like the most supportive person in my life. And just having that, that mutual understanding of things. But it's been interesting actually going through fellowship and now he's working as an attending um, just as a generalist and seeing kind of how, you know, we were same medical school class, same residency class, and all of a sudden, boom, like things diverged um, just to see where things really have kind of gone our separate ways in terms of our careers. Um, But it's it's really great. And I think there's certainly challenges with it, too um you know he's he has his call schedule I have mine and so trying to like work around that especially with cam and and everything that can be really challenging and um Mm -hmm. so I think we've actually found that to be more difficult and when we're looking for jobs and stuff and finding again talking about support finding people who are in that similar situation because you know a lot of a lot of folks um that we talk to maybe their significant other doesn't work quite as much as one of us does. And so it's hard mm-hmm. to sort of see what a potential job would be um, without someone who's like living that too with, with both right. people in the household. So yeah, it, it certainly has its challenges, but um, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah. It's cool to speak the same lingo and mm-hmm. like be able to kind of like what you said, get into the weeds of things, but sometimes it's just nice to just talk through scenarios or like troubleshoot you know yeah definitely I mean there's certainly those times too where he'll be like so this happened at work and I'm like huh and he's like you wouldn't have done that would you and I'm like no no (laughs) I'm not saying I would of course of course there's that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so (laughs) maybe put a bigger IV in next time buddy (laughs) exactly exactly oh so you didn't get that central line okay I see (laughs) (laughs) so what uh what kind of practice has Ben working does he work for Hopkins as well yeah so he works um at their like cross campus location called Bayview so I guess I would say it's a little more of like private practice type feel or smaller, smaller center. Um, But he's doing, you know, general cases ranging ortho, vascular, all, all the above trauma burn. They actually, the, Mm. the burn center in the state of Maryland is over there. So Mm -hmm. um, he really loves the people he works with. He gets a lot of satisfaction out of taking care of the patient population and, and honestly, like, there's some really sick people that uh, they take care of. So I got to work over there a bit last year, just um, cool. like moonlighting. And yeah. it was really, it was, a, it was a good place to work. So nice. And how yeah. did you get uh, convinced into doing a two-year fellowship? <laughs> Two years. Um, <laughs> Sucker. So, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I think I kind of convinced myself that it was the right decision. And the Danny of, gosh, maybe four years ago, totally had the right idea and was like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, you know, um, what was the Danny of four years, four years ago? I mean, she was like, I'm working at a big academic medical school center. Like I'm going to be the best of the best to do this, this, this. Of course. That's the Danny. Right. Yeah. That's who I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then life changes and and your priorities change and I'm like, yes, yes. And you grow and you, you, in many ways, um, 
after this past year, um, transitioning into my second year, I was like, what am I doing? Like some people barely go for one year, like two. Um, but to be honest, how to answer your actual question, how did I, did I rope into that? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it really came down to the fact that I knew I wanted to do intensive care and that's like why I went into anesthesia. Um, and the kinds of, of patients that I enjoyed the most were the cardiac ICU patients because um, they scared me the most. I think, you know, you have someone who's septic and, okay, you, you give them fluid. Oh, I gave them a little too much. It can diurese it. But, like, you give someone with heart failure a little too much, it, it can be really, uh, really not as easy to reverse. Um so they, they're scary to me and, and I wanted that knowledge and I wanted to be able to take the best care possible of ICU patients um, in the cardiac ICU. And I do not regret it at all because I stepped into the, the cardiac ICU a few weeks ago after having some months under my belt in cardiac anesthesia. And man, did I felt so much better just having a, a different understanding and, and you know, constantly putting people on bypass, like, oh, cannulating for ECMO and now going and taking care of them. I'm like, oh, oh, I understand why they did this. And it just sort of solidified for me, uh, again, the reason why I chose to do both was to take the best care possible of the patients in the ICU. And I think it's, I think it's going to give me, give me that, that skill set. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so yeah. crazy. Like I, when you, it really resonated with me when you said, I'm still understanding the why. Because like you think you have everything figured out and there's still like so much more to learn. Yeah, it's so true. It's like just like a constant. I mean, we know going into this that it's just going to be a constant forever learning. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely went through the same decision process. Not, I mean, I was thinking like a two-year fellowship and then mm -hmm. eventually settled on just ICU. Yeah. But there were also people telling me you're a fool for not just going into the market right now. Right. Because the market's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but the more I've sat with this and the more I've had to explain my rationale, I feel like job satisfaction is just something you can't put a price value to. Mm -hmm. And like a, you just you got to chase what you've always wanted to do. That's true. And, you know, and, and I think what I'll say to you, too, and, and kind of say it out loud to myself is that it's it's interesting because right now, it scares me a little bit as I've looked at jobs to be like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I had this track and this idea of who I was going to be and, and what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And the possibility that five years from now, that could be different than what I'm sitting here thinking now. Um, there's part of me that's like, well, what am I just wasting my time? Like, what if I choose in five years to not do cardiac anesthesia? Or if I don't want to do ICU anymore? did I waste time? And I, I keep reminding myself that like, none of this is a waste. It's only going to help me be better in, you know, the general OR in whatever facet and, and to be able to be again, a resource for other people. Um, but as you are about to step into critical care, I, I think I will just echo and, and let you know that it's okay if, you know, even after you're done your fellowship, what you decide of what you want for your life and your career is different than what you think right now. Like that's totally okay. And, and it's, that's part of life is things evolve and change and what's right for you right now might not be what's right for you a year, five, 10 years from now. So. Absolutely. That's really sound advice. 
-hmm. it's so it's so hard to predict where your future is going to go but you might as well set yourself up to you know be able to take on any opportunity that you want to do in the future exactly exactly and and i think having that versatility and ability to you know offer something a little bit different than um, someone who maybe does go straight out of of residency into the job market i think you'll always have that extra skill set and that extra just knowledge and confidence of of your own abilities so Mm -hmm. uh what year have you liked better your cardiac or your icu year it's tough um they're very different um i'll be honest like transitioning into cardiac year was pretty challenging um in ways i didn't expect i think the you did that your second year correct you did icu and then cardiac Mm -hmm. so i think that the icu year is a lot of go 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 like you see a lot that um you know think about i'm sure for you you guys probably do like a month of icu at a time right yeah yeah yeah. Uh, just like most of us uh and next year you'll see it to do nine, 10 plus months in a whole year is just, it's, it's physically, it's mentally exhausting, but it's um, wonderful at the same time. And I think I was just like, go, 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 go. And then when the, the transition happened, it was like a hit a wall and everything, all the stuff you saw, the trauma, everything, um, just so almost like came down on me at once. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Need a break. Um, what month was that for you? That was this August. Um, and I, for the first time in my entire career, um, I almost felt like a, truly burned out almost. And it scared me um, to, to think like, wow, this is this. I didn't feel like myself and in that when I went to work in the cardiac hours, this is new and I'm like, I should be here. I should be present and like excited. I was doing the best I could to almost just be like, okay, like, let me get through today. And then I just need to like get home and like decompress. Mm -hmm. But I, I have had, have an absolutely phenomenal um, program director. And I remember we were in the OR one day and I was like, okay, so this is the case we're doing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I just need to talk to you about something and just like kind of unloaded. And it, to have, again, I feel like this keeps the theme of support, 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 like have someone who gets it and who did both um, ICU and, and cardiac, but more so just like understanding where you're coming from of like how draining that year can be on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and recognizing like whatever you need like I'm here for you and you will get through it but it's okay and this happens to to the best of us mm-hmm. um so plus I was like taking my oral boards in the same month there's just a lot of stress that's going hard. on that's hard yeah um either way I feel like I'm on the other side of that right now and I'm super psyched and happy to be in cardiac it's it's just a different workflow mm-hmm. uh, but as as you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I'm in the cardiac ICU right now and, and loving life. Um, so it's, it's a great mix. And I, I think it's, it makes me happy to think about how the potential of, okay, my actual career will be like ICU. And then, you know, that maybe that's a week. And then I go, go back to the OR and I get to do that. And it's, I think that's what I like the most is just mixing it up a bit. Right. Um, so it's been, 
it's been good and tiring all at the same time. I actually think I'm in the hospital more this year than I was in ICU, which is like so weird to talk about, but uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> You're still smiling though. Yeah. I mean, here I am doing what I really do want to do. And it's, I do think that I'm making a difference in people's lives, hopefully. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's good. It's really That's good. awesome. I'm really proud of you. Cause I mean, it makes a ton of sense for you to be doing the combined fellowship. Like I, I was not surprised at all when I knew that you were <laughs> doing it. It's just very, very fitting for you and who you are deep down. Yeah. Thanks. So it's, I definitely, uh, I struggled with the the decision initially, like, do I do both? Do I not? And um, I, yeah, I like you saying, I don't regret it at all. Yeah. Awesome. So you alluded to it earlier, um, but you said you sort of shifted the way you're thinking about where your career is going and you're probably getting ready to look at jobs now. Um, so what kind of jobs are you looking at? So I have completed my job interviews um, as of last week. Yeah. And how many places did you interview at? Um, four. Okay. So, you know, kind of as I said earlier, I had this vision in my head a few years ago that it was going to be like big old academic medical center, you know, doing all that stuff. And, and really it's, you know, what you know. Um, and so I think the thing that was really coolest was looking at jobs. Um, I literally went on to Gasworks and I was like, critical care. Okay, what can I find? And so it sort of just led me like here and there and all over the place. And I talked to a lot of different people and groups and just reached out to get more information. And I think the the most interesting thing was how vastly different every job was. And huh. you'll see this too, especially with ICU. Huh. Um, and I just wasn't really prepared for that because yeah. in my mind, I'm like, oh, ICU is ICU and the anesthesia is anesthesia. And, um, so things are very different and not just the difference between academic and private, but between private practices, even academic practices, like just your job description is going to be different. So with that being said, um, ended up applying and and interviewing to two academic and two private, I guess I would say, but Uh in the mix of that, like academic one is um, a private group that's at an academic medical center. So Kind of almost the best of both worlds, in my opinion, yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Um, so as we're kind of rounding out the the process and, and actually deciding um, kind of between two places right now that do look very different in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, and I think the biggest thing right now is deciding, are we going to be in a, a location that's right next to family, like 20 minutes away? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to be in a place that maybe the job is more like in alignment with what I want, but in a place that family's not close by? So that's really our our struggle right now. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you I've signed, and then I would tell you exactly where I'm going. <laughs> it's all I- good. It sounds like it sounds like you're so close though, which is the exciting so part. So close. It'll. I'll be on the eastern side of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, without naming names, obviously, but like what was different about the jobs, like hours, your split between the ORs and ICU, like your responsibilities, like, can you go into specifics a little bit about like big things that you noticed about that? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it came down to the ICU work uh, and going into it and at every place I, I would say, like, 
the ICU is going to define my job. And it's true because hmm. you may see is places that have very well established um, anesthesia intensivists in, in a group running an ICU mm -hmm. or mixed group, but it's not, uh, it's not a new concept versus mm -hmm. some of these places, more so private places that, um, until, you know, two, three years ago, never even knew that anesthesiologists could be critical care doctors. Mm -hmm. So, um, the difference between kind of the, how old um, the group is more or less, like how, how long anesthesiologists have been practicing as ICU doctors, I think has made a difference in these places. And um, the, not only the types of ICU that you're going to work in. So is it going to be surgical critical care? Is it going to be a uh, mixed like med surge or is it just strictly cardiac um, mm -hmm. ICU? Some of the jobs I've looked at and actually the ones I'm, I'm looking at more closely actually would plant me in the cardiac surgery ICU and also the like equivalent of the, I don't know if where you guys, uh, you know, Brown called like the CCU, like the cardiac critical unit, whatever it is, right. uh, more like the medical, the pre-surgical side. Right. Um, so that's a little different, but whether you are on 24 seven for a week and, and maybe getting called in at night, versus some places that you're on for a week, but it's only days and then there's someone else covering at night. Mm -hmm. So um, some places you work for a week and then you get the next week off completely as an intensivist. Some places you work for the week and you don't even get Monday off and you're back mm -hmm. in the OS. So kind of figuring out like what what is important for your lifestyle. I think um, that sort of helped me to weed out what jobs may be best for us. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately it's my job that's going to put the most strain on our family structure. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I, it's, I'm interested to see in the future kind of what you find as um, what job you take and, and, and what's out there, you know, a year from now. So, yeah, yeah, me too. We'll talk off camera sometime. Yeah, yeah I'm sure we will. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're super lucky that Ben is obviously really supportive and you have that flexibility to kind of go wherever and you know yeah. that he's going to be able to get a job wherever you go. Yeah, it's been definitely met with um, even like residency where people are like, how, oh, you know, it's gonna be hard. There's two of you applying. And it's like, actually, people are like really intrigued by this, like dual anesthesiologist, yeah. you know, a two for one. And especially now they're like, oh, we're going to pull one. Oh, we get another one because, you know, a lot of places are, are as Desperate. you mentioned, the job market's great because yeah, short staffing like everywhere. So yeah, yeah, um, it's 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 cool. But I I do think that after these last two years in Baltimore, I'm you know Ben, if he had to choose where I went to fellowship, don't think it would have been here. Um, just it's just a different it's it's different than what we're used to. Um, totally, totally. So I think now it's time for me to compromise. And and although mm -hmm. there's one of these jobs that might be better for me, um, mm -hmm. okay with going the, with the one that, you know, ultimately might be a little bit better for him too. Totally get it. And your, your description of private slash academics. So that implies that there's residence there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. nice. Um, which I ultimately one job doesn't have residence. One does. And mm -hmm. more so this week, I'm thinking a little more of how, I don't know if I'm ready to step away from teaching and, and that really does satisfy a certain part of my life and career that I don't think I would get otherwise. Yeah, I, I totally feel that.
Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So the last question I'm going to leave you with is what has been one of your most proudest moments of your career so far? Oh boy. Oh man. Put me on the spot. Um, just a moment to brag about yourself. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I could go with, there are some patients that their families have impacted me and really changed how I view things in life. You know, there's, there's a, a handful of those stories, but I'm going to go with one that actually happened yesterday. And, um, I was in the ICU and there is a resident who, um, is also on the ICU rotation and the attending was like, oh, you're on, on this rotation. And they're like, oh yeah, I've been here for two weeks and stuff. And she's like, oh, were you, were you running? The, the attending had just changed. Um, like, were you running with, with this team? And she's like, well, sort of like, I've been kind of following any patient that's interesting, but actually I'm just following Danny now. And, um, and she's like, what? She's like, well, no, but Danny's like a really great teacher. So, you know, when you find a fellow or an attending, that's good. Like you just kind of latch onto them and just want to stay with them. And I really, maybe that's cheesy, whatever, like, but to me, that means so much. And that the fact that like, what I'm doing day to day, I, you know, am I saving lives? Am I making a difference in that? Sure. But like the fact that without even really trying, just offering what I can, even though my knowledge may not be as great as, you know, someone who's been doing this for so long, but I didn't even realize that I had made someone feel like that comfortable and excited to be working with me. Um, it really holds like a special place in and makes me proud of like the person I've developed into and hoping that wherever I go next, that that's like a continued uh, sense and, and a continued thing that I can provide and, and be of value to someone else. So I know my mentors have been extremely um, invaluable and and i'm still very close to a lot of them through from even back in med school and so i just hope that as i go on in my career that i can emulate that and be that for someone else um so yeah that's probably where i'll leave that piece um, i love it i love it that's such a great way to end it because you've been an incredible role model for me for over a decade now and you motivate me to be the best me i can possibly be and push the bar and go above and beyond. So kudos to you. Awesome. Thanks, keep, Dan. Keep being, keep being you. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm very satisfied being here and, and um, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. It really does. Of course. Me a lot and, and I'm super excited again to see, you know, five years from now where, where we are and, and all the things that we can share. Definitely. All right, Danny, hopefully I'll see you in person sometime and meet Cam. Yeah, I know. You have to. <laughs> we will. We'll make, it, <laughs> we'll make it happen. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye, Danny. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Drapes. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get all the new episodes of the show as they drop right to your homepage. If you really, really liked what you hear, be sure to rate and review so that other people can find the show easily and also tell a friend so they could check it out too. Special thanks to all the guests who come on the show and help make my job a lot easier and hopefully make an entertaining time for you guys to listen to. 
We'll see you next time.